Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Life Church. It is so good to see you here today. My name is Analia, and if, thank you, I'm glad to be here. I'm so pumped. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I am the next gen director here at Life Church, which means I have the awesome chance to oversee our kids and youth ministries across our various campuses. So if you're in here and you have a kiddo who's six weeks through 12th grade, I've probably had the chance to hang out with them, interact with them. And two things I just wanna say off the bat about what I get to do. First of all, I'm just so blessed for the opportunity to give back to this next generation. I was a recipient of so many incredible kids pastors and kids leaders, youth pastors and youth leaders right here at Life Church that created such a foundation of faith for me. Yes, they answered all my crazy questions and dealt with my wild years, but at the same time, that is what really created this baseline of faith for me that's carried me into my adulthood. So to be on the other side of that and be able to be a part of looking at children and looking at teenagers and listening to them and talking with them and helping enable them to grow up to be young men and women who serve the Lord is just such a blessing. And the second thing I want to say is I don't do this alone. I have the best team of kids pastors and youth pastors and kids and youth team members. And I just want us to take a moment right off the bat to just uh, thank and show some appreciation for every single volunteer, every single pastor, that serves the next generation. And most of them may be catching this online because you're holding a crying baby right now or maybe you're in this room. I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, want to say thank you. At the end of service, we're going to see a recap about some of the things that the Next Gen Ministries did this summer and the life change that took place. But that was not possible without every kids pastor, every youth pastor, and every team member serving in the Next Gen department. So I just want to say Thank you. Now this morning we are in a brand new series that is called Misfits. Misfits is our series. And you probably have heard the term misfit before as the word sounds. It is someone or something that does not fit in or that fits poorly. And if we're being honest, we have all had a moment where we felt like a misfit. Maybe it was just for a moment or a, a circumstance. Maybe it was for a whole season. And I was thinking back on, unfortunately, the many times I have felt like a misfit in my life. But one kind of funny one that stood out was when I was an intern in college with Convoy of Hope over in Europe. And if you've ever traveled or been to a country that is not your home country, you know you can feel like a bit of a misfit, especially those first couple days or weeks. And as I was interning over there, I was working with the director at the time. His name was Michael McNamee. And some of you may know Michael. He's spoken here before. He has a very, very, very thick Irish accent, okay? Um, and so I am sitting working with Michael, and my job that day was to write emails for him as he spoke what he wanted to communicate through those emails, okay? Super fun. So I'm sitting there typing these emails, already like nervous, already feeling like a misfit, and as he's talking, I'm writing. And he's, he's speaking and he's saying, we had seven offenses in France, we had six offenses in um, in. Ireland, we had four offenses over in Greece, and I'm typing about these offenses, and I'm like, oh, there must have been things going on, there must have been conflict, there must have been problems, and so I'm typing these emails, I send one, two, four, by about the fifth email I send, and let me mention, these emails were going to donors who supported Convoy of Hope, and I've just told them about all of these offenses that we are proudly doing. I realized I didn't understand what Michael was saying. 
and I look at Michael and I say, Michael, I am so sorry. What is that word that you are saying after you say these four, seven, eight things going on in Greece, in Romania, in France? And he says, I'm talking about our offenses. E-V-E-N-T-S, offense. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Michael, I thought you were saying offense, O-F-F-E-N-S-E. I thought you were talking about the ways we were offending or dealing with conflict in all these countries, and he's just trying to communicate all the events, all the incredible ministry opportunities that were hosted across Europe. If you know Michael, he's literally a comedian, so thank God I was working with him because he made light of the situation, but I felt like such an outcast in that moment. I was sitting at his table where he belonged with his thick Irish accent and I as the American did not fit in. And that's a lighthearted example, but we've all had moments that might be a little bit deeper, a little more serious, where we felt like we did not have place or purpose at a table. And whether it's for us or others, that, it, that happens because we as people have a human perspective on life, right? Our vision of ourselves, or even if we're being honest, our vision of others is flawed. So if we see ourselves or others as not quite fitting in or not quite fitting the mold, it's easy for us to be judgmental and think that there is no place for them or no opportunity of acceptance or fitting in. But thankfully, we serve a God who does not have this flawed human perspective. We serve a God who sees perfectly, who sees holy. And just like God says in 1 Samuel, he says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And when God looks at a person, when God looks at an individual, maybe when God looks at you, when other people in this world with an earthly perspective would say you don't fit in or you don't have a place, God says, no, son or daughter, you have a place in my kingdom. If you choose to follow me, I will use you. I want to allow the gifts and unique talents and abilities that I have created you with to be used for my good and my glory. And the Bible has countless stories of men and women who the world at their time would have seen as a misfit. Their culture and their day and age would have seen them as an outcast, as not having a place or not having purpose. But it's those very individuals that God looks at. And he says, you are the one I want to move through. You are the one that I want to allow my Holy Spirit to do wonderful things for my glory through. And so today, if you walked in here feeling like a misfit, be reminded, that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And if you choose to follow him, he accepts you, he has a place for you, and he has a purpose for you. And so all throughout this series, we are going to talk about several misfits throughout the Bible that God chooses to speak to and to see and to utilize. And today the misfit we're talking about, her name is Hagar. And Hagar is your classic misfit. Her story is, is so heavy, it's so painful. She was mistreated, she was cast out, and she found herself all alone. And in her moment of loneliness, where she did not want to be noticed, there was one who took notice of her, and that was her heavenly father. So let's pray, and then we are going to jump into the story of Hagar together. Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, for your goodness, for your holiness. And I thank you, God, that you don't look on the outward appearance, but you look at the heart. And so I pray for every man and woman that walked in here today, God, that we would be reminded as we leave here that you see us not by our outward appearance or by our performance or by what we do, but you look at our heart and you look upon us with grace and with mercy. And I pray, Jesus, that as we leave, we would be reminded that you see us and that we would take comfort in 
that truth. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, fill this room with your presence. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, that's where we will be. And before we dive into the story of our misfit, into the story of Hagar, we first need to know the story of a man and a woman named Abram and Sarai. You may know them as Abraham and Sarah. And Abram and Sarai in Genesis were a very special couple. God had a call on their lives. God spoke to Abraham several times before chapter 16, telling Abram that you are going to be the father of a great nation. I am going to allow your children and your children's children to continue on my good works for generations to come. You might know the famous song, if you grew up in church like me, that goes, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And that is why I'm not in the worship department, but it's those kinds of truths and those kinds of uh, stories that stick with us. And we think that maybe Abram always had it easy. He always clung to this promise. He always knew it would come to fruition. However, Abram and Sarai went through a a season in their life where the promises of God did not match their current reality. For 10 years, they tried to conceive and could not become pregnant. And I'm sure not only the physical and emotional pain that they carried for 10 years, on top of that, think of the spiritual weight, knowing that God has multiple times spoken over them as a couple, spoken over their family, spoken over their children, yet the promise of God didn't align with their current reality. And so as you imagine, Abram and Sarai are in so much pain, and it's in that moment we meet our misfit, Hagar. Because Sarai tries to take her situation into her hands. She she tries to take control of her circumstances. And what she does sounds a little bit crazy, okay? But if we're honest, we all have moments where we want to take control when God's promises don't align with our reality. What Sarai does is she goes to Hagar, who was her Egyptian servant, and she says, Hagar, I want you to marry my husband, Abram crazy. And I want you to try and conceive and give birth so that the lineage of God can pass from our family through you. And so she gives her servant Hagar to Abram. And even though this was not God's plan, the plan works. Hagar conceives and is pregnant. But obviously, as you can imagine, this plan was fueled with probably a lot of potential for failure. And Hagar, there's moments where she brags about her pregnancy, and so Sarai obviously becomes extremely hurt. She becomes extremely jealous, and Sarai takes it to another level. Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar. Sarai begins to hurt Hagar. Sarai begins to abuse Hagar to the point where Hagar had no choice but to flee. And all of us, when we have moments in our life where we are faced with tension, when we are faced with brokenness, when we are faced with grief, we probably choose one of two responses. We either want to fight, either the person or the circumstance, or we run, we flee. And that's what Hagar chooses. And as we jump into the story of Hagar, she is in a moment of fleeing into a forest, pregnant, all alone, with no food, with no hope, and with so much pain that she had just experienced that she was feeling like a nobody. But it's in that moment of loneliness that we first see her have an encounter with God. And what does God choose to say to Hagar in that moment? He says that he sees her. He sees her. Not as the world sees her, but as he sees her. 
And we're gonna walk through, as we dive into the story of Hagar, three different reactions Hagar has to the reality that God sees her. Some of these reactions might be positive, but there were real difficult responses in Hagar's life to the reality that God saw her. And I think just like Hagar, when we understand that God sees us, when you begin to understand that God sees you, it might not all be feelings of positivity, but there might be some negative feelings in there that we're going to talk through this morning. And so the first response we see in the story of Hagar to the reality that God sees her is a response of concern. A response of concern. Well, you might say, why concern? Why be concerned that the God of the universe chose to tell you that he sees you? Well, let's put ourselves in Hagar's shoes. Once again, she's all alone. She has just come out of a very heavy, intense, painful circumstance. And that is the moment that God encounters her. We're going to start in verse 7. Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. And it's in that moment of loneliness, in that moment of brokenness, in that moment of desperation that God first chooses to tell Hagar that he sees her. Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, it says this. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be outnumbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. Talk about a gender reveal. She didn't know at that time. Um, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Let's jump to verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar, that term she uses for God saying, you are the God who sees me, that isn't just an opinion, that isn't just um, what she's choosing to believe, that is a fact, that is a name of God. That term, El Royai, is a Hebrew name meaning the God of seeing, meaning the God who sees me. And so this reality that God saw her was a fact in her current situation, but I can imagine her response was a bit concerned. Because remember, she was broken, she was hopeless, she was desperate. She probably didn't feel the most presentable to be encountered by the God of the universe. She probably didn't feel the most um, having it all together to have this encounter with the Holy of Holies with her Heavenly Father. And if we're all being honest, there's moments in our life where we're totally cool with God seeing us, right? There's moments where we might be serving on a Sunday in Life Kids. We might be helping out at Life Center. We may be reading our Bible or doing our morning prayer. Those moments we're like, all right, God, you can see me in this moment. But there's other moments in our lives where we'd rather God look away. We'd rather God not notice us. Moments either where we have caused harm or we are stuck in sin or moments where maybe harm has been done to us when we feel like we don't have it together enough to be encountered by the Holy of Holies, by the God of the universe. And I think that feeling that we have, it is, it is so unfortunate because when God sees us, he doesn't see us 
the way that man sees. We as people, when we look upon others or think others are looking at us, we think we have to have it all together. We think we need to perform. We think we need to be perfect in order to look presentable to those we encounter. But when the God of the universe encounters us, he doesn't look the way that man and woman sees. God looks the way that God sees. God looks upon us in our moment of distress, in our moment of brokenness, where we do not have it all together. Not looking for our performance or our perfection, but with grace and mercy, if we choose to follow him and choose to come to him in our moments of pain. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid out before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That truth right there, that nothing is hidden from God, again, it might cause concern to you if you're going through a season of difficulty, a season of pain, maybe a season of being stuck in sin or feeling broken. But thank God that the Lord doesn't look upon us the way we look at each other, looking for a performance, looking for perfection, looking for us to have it all together. No, God wants us in our brokenness, in our pain, to come to him and receive his grace and his mercy and his healing that he so willingly wants to provide. All we have to do is ask. And so Hagar, in this moment, the fact that God sees her might cause a feeling of concern, but she does not need to stay there because she needs to know that God does not look upon her the way that man looks upon her. God looks upon her with grace and mercy as a daughter of him. Now, throughout Hagar's story, there's another moment where she encounters God. And that second time she encounters God, she has a different reaction to the truth that God sees her. The second reaction we see in the story in the life of Hagar is a response of confusion. A response of confusion. Now, why be confused by the fact that God sees you, right? Why be confused by the reality that God notices you? Well, again, it's easy to feel like God sees us when everything's going well, but what about when our plan doesn't go the way we want it to? What about when our life is falling apart? What about when we feel so broken? How could God possibly see us if God is good and we're in the midst of a tragedy? There's two reasons why I believe we may be confused by the fact that God sees us. Number one is we as humans, again, we're imperfect and we have blurred vision. Blurred vision. This blurred vision, it comes from us as humans only having a partial view of our circumstance. So when you are going through something difficult, when you are going through something tough or traumatic, you are probably, it's so easy for us to get so focused on only what we can see, only what we have view of. And we get so fixated on our problems and our circumstances that it's so easy for us to have a blurry vision to what God is doing behind the scenes. We forget that God has a holistic view. God has a view where he sees all things and he knows all things. And there may be moments where God is working behind the scenes but all we see is our tragedy and when we're told in the midst of our tragedy that God sees us it's easy to feel confused and wonder God how can you see me if you've left me here how can you see me if I feel so broken and the second reason why we may be confused by the fact that God sees us is we have a foggy memory a foggy memory You may find yourself in the same trial, in the same difficulty, in the same broken circumstance for the second, third, fourth time. And maybe God's gotten us out of that circumstance before, but when it hits us again, when the waves of life rush over again, it's so easy to forget the ways God was faithful in the past, causing us to have a foggy memory. And Hagar finds herself once again being told that God sees her, yet being met with a bit of confusion. 
We're going to fast forward to Genesis chapter 21. And in Genesis chapter 21, a little over a decade has gone by. Hagar has given birth to her son Ishmael, and they're still living with Sarai and Abram. And there was another feud between the two women, and this time Hagar gets pushed out. Again, to a forest, this time with her young son, with no food and no water, and she is more desperate and hopeless than before. And in her desperation and in her hopelessness, she thinks that her and her son are going to perish. She leaves her son at a tree and goes off to cry and weep, thinking that they were about to die. Yet it's in that moment of hopelessness that once again God reminds her that he sees her. Genesis chapter 21, verse 19, it says this. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin, the container with water, and gave the boy a drink. Dr. Tony Evans, an amazing pastor and author, in his commentary on this, says that the well Hagar saw was there all the time, but she was so busy crying and forgetting God, she stopped trusting. She stopped looking for God. How many times are we in the same forest for the second, third, fourth time, and we are so consumed by our circumstance, we're so consumed by our brokenness that we wonder, God, how can you see me if this is my reality? And it's easy for our vision to become blurred, but we don't know that God already has a well. We don't know that God is already providing. We don't know that God is already answering prayers behind the scenes, because once again, we're people, our vision is flawed. Our perspective is incomplete. And for me, a lot of times, those moments come from wanting to control my situation and feeling like my situation isn't turning out the way I want it to, isn't isn't looking the way I perceived. And it's in those moments where trusting in God's timing gets difficult. But I've learned something for those who have walked with Christ a bit longer than me, who are a bit wiser than me. And what they have taught me is that it's not a matter of if you go through a difficult season, but when because we all know we're all going to encounter trials and difficult circumstances. But the difference between walking through those forests and coming out on the other end stronger or broken is that walking with God daily. If we don't have a regular rhythm of walking with our Heavenly Father, of seeking the Lord, of being reminded of God's past faithfulness, when we find ourselves in the midst of a forest, in the midst of desperation, in the midst of grief, it's easy for us to only have perspective on our broken circumstance and only be able to see what is falling apart. But I've been taught that when you walk with God daily, when you open your scripture daily, when you're reminded of God's faithfulness daily, when you're surrounded by men and women in Christian community that can support you, that can uplift you, that can pray with you, it doesn't mean you won't go through those seasons. It doesn't mean you won't go through a forest and a tough circumstance. What it does mean though is that in the midst of that, you will be reminded that God is faithful, that God is good, and that he has a well. And it's in those moments that if we choose to humbly ask God to give us his vision and give us his perspective, he may give us glimpses of how he is providing. He may not be providing the way we expect. Oh, I'm sure in Hagar, if you read this whole story, how God provides isn't always what she would have chosen or wanted. But he is present and he is providing and he is good. So if you're going through a forest right now and you feel confused, you say, when I walked in here and was told God sees me, that doesn't seem to align with my reality. Friend, ask God to give you his vision. Ask God to show you where he has provided a well that we may just not be able to see from our human perspective. 
there's a third reaction we see out of Hagar. And we actually already read it. Let's go back to the very first time that she's in that forest. The very first time that she flees from her circumstances. It's there that after all the concern and after all the confusion, she chooses to state a reality about God that leads to our third response when God sees us and it's a response of comfort. A response of comfort. Comfort isn't always easy and we'll talk about that in a moment, but if we choose to vulnerably allow God to comfort us, that's where true healing and wholeness can take place even in the midst of a wilderness. Let's go back to Genesis 16 and reread verse 13. In verse 13, it said, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. She states this truth that God sees us, her El Rai, his God who no- her God who notices her and is comforted by the fact that I have seen him who looks after me. Now, yes, Hagar had moments of conflict, wondering, God, how can you see me in my brokenness? God, how can you see me in my hurt? In moments of confusion, thinking my reality doesn't line up with a good God. Yet at the end of the day, she allowed herself to vulnerably and humbly come to the Lord and receive his comfort. And here's the thing, comfort, it sounds like a great option. It sounds like it should be our first response, but if we're being honest in here, it's hard to admit that we need to be comforted because to be comforted means we need to admit that we are in need. It means we need to let go of our control of the situation. It means to let, we need to let go of our pride of thinking we have it all figured out. It means we need to let go of our outcome of how we think things should send up and we need to humbly submit to God and allow him to take over those valley moments. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Matthew 6, verse 26, Jesus speaks these words talking about how deeply he loves us, how deeply he sees us. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than the birds of the sky? God looks at you as his son and his daughter. He wants to give you comfort. He wants to give you peace. But are we vulnerable enough to allow him to do so? See, the problem is that we have an enemy fighting against God. And we have an enemy when we are in the midst of a forest, when we are in the midst of a trial. What does that enemy want us to do? How does he want us to respond? He wants us to do one of two things. He either wants us to fight a person or a problem or a circumstance, putting our guard up, thinking we've got it all together. We can fight this circumstance. We can fight this situation. Or the enemy wants us to flee like Hagar. He wants us to run and hide in the wilderness those two responses aren't going to leave any room for comfort. Those two responses don't leave any room for vulnerability. But it's when we humbly let go of our pride, again, in our control and maybe our anger, that we open the door for God to comfort us. If you walked in here in the thick of a forest, if you walked in this room in the midst of a trial or grief or such a heavy circumstance, And hearing the fact that God sees you wasn't the most positive reaction that came to your mind, that's okay. Hagar's been there too. 
I've been there, we've all been there. It's easy to feel concerned when we don't have it all together and we're reminded that God sees us. And it's easy to feel confused when our circumstance feels to, seems to be hopeless, yet we're told God is present in the midst of it. But my prayer today is that all of us, myself included, would lay down our desire to control and to perform and to look like we have it all together and to lay down our need to have our outcome or to have our results or to have control of the situation ourselves, and choose comfort. Choose comfort. It's not going to be comfortable at first because, again, the world tells us you can fix that yourself. You can get through that yourself. You're strong enough. You've got it together. Or you can't show anyone your brokenness. You can't show anyone your sin. You can't show anyone your pain. That's what the enemy wants us to think. That's what this world wants us to think. That's how we even look at each other. But thank God his perspective is different. Thank God he looks at the inward appearance. Thank the Lord that God sees you, and that doesn't need to cause fear. But the fact that God sees you can lead to comfort and peace and wholeness. Because remember, God sees you as his son or daughter, and you are so valuable to him. You are so valuable to him. So leave this room knowing God sees me. My heavenly father sees me. The holy of holies sees me. The glorious God of the universe sees me. Yet he looks at me with grace and mercy and peace and comfort saying, I am in control of your situation. I am in control of your circumstance. Take a deep breath because I am with you and I see you always. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the men and the women in these stories. God, who we may have write off as misfits, who the people in their day and age may have written off as misfits, that you said, no, those are the people I want to use for my kingdom. Those are the men and women I want to utilize for my glory because they have humbly come to me with a willing spirit. And God, I pray that as we read the story of Hagar, we would leave here reminded God, that when we're in the midst of a forest, when we are in a difficult, tragic circumstance, that God, we don't have to push you away because we don't have it all together. And we don't need to hide from you because we're so broken and we feel hurt that you see us, but our outcome isn't what we expect. Lord, let us choose to vulnerably, vulnerably and humbly come to you letting go of our need to control, letting go of our need to have it all together, letting go of our pride and instead saying, Lord, provide comfort. Lord, provide peace and provide healing that only our heavenly father can. We are grateful for this time. We're grateful for the healing taking place in this room. And I pray, Jesus, remind us that we can walk with you daily and get through whatever valley we're going through, knowing you see us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.